Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Tech People. This week, we are back stateside to speak to Karen Weeks, who currently serves as the Senior Vice President of People at OrderGlobe, where she is building people strategy and focuses on maintaining a strong culture during the growth stage of the company, including winning best companies to work for in New York two years in a row. Additionally, she can be found teaching management and HR strategy courses at Barrick College and as a professional development coach with GoCoach. What is also very interesting about Karen is that she made a big career change over 15 years ago from theater to HR and has never looked back. In today's podcast, we learn more about Karen and how she ended up in HR. She gives her expert insight into how do you build a culture in tech startups? When do you introduce HR to your company? And in terms of startup, does she recommend a HR leader or a journalist? Finally, what does the future hold in this space? So welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. No, and thank you for your time. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. HR is such an interesting topic and covers so many areas. So, but listen, before we start, I always want to hear a bit of background about our guests. So it would be great if you give a brief introduction about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so as you mentioned, I've been in HR for over 15 years now. I actually thought I was going to be in theater. I was going to be a stage manager. And as much as I loved doing the work and loved the community, as it actually had to become my income and my career, mm -hmm. it was very stressful not knowing when my next job was going to be, where my next job was going to be. So I made the shift first into the business side of the arts. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to bring some stability, but I still get to be a part of the arts community. Yeah. But we were out in LA and that just was not the right <laughs> coast for us. LA is beautiful, but just not for us. <laughs> and so I took a step back and I said, okay, so what is it I actually enjoy doing? And it was a combination of creating a shared experience for folks and helping people with their careers because I was working for a talent agency. Okay. And I talked to a bunch of people and they said, I think that might be HR. And that was 2002. So fast forward and here we are. Wow. Um, and currently I live in New York City with my husband and three furry children. And we are enjoying life, uh, work from home, trying to find ways to escape safely in this world that we live in today and help everybody through it, whether it's through the coaches that I work with, uh, through a podcast I actually started about helping people with career changes, or through the work I do with Order Groove, trying to help the team evolve in this very new, unpredictable world that we are in. Wow, that sounds hectic. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough hours in a day, I know the feeling. Actually, yeah. I'm always interested, actually, you know, that career change. Was that a diff very difficult time transition or do you find it quite easy in doing that? Just get your, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people recently and a lot of them actually had career changes since they've never looked yeah. back. But just in terms of approaching it and what you learned from it. I think that if you are able to take the time to really think about what you want to be different, because I yeah. think some people either are running away from something because they're so miserable in what they're doing that they just want yeah. something new. But if you're able to actually take some time, figure out what you like, what you don't like, you then are able to run towards something. And I think that's a huge differential 
And I think being able to figure out, is it the industry? Is it my role? Maybe it's the size of company. Like maybe I really want to work for a startup and right now I'm working for a huge bank or something like that. So I think really being able to do the self-reflection is a really important piece. And then I'm sure everything is different for people based on where they are in their lives. What is the financial stress of if I make this change? Do I have to make sure I already have something lined up? Can I take the time to take a break to figure it out? You know, I was really relatively young. And so we were able to kind of piece together some things and, and make it work. I was temping for a while. My husband worked for at the local library for a while. Yeah, so you're sort of able to kind of make that work. I do think that we are in a place though that people understand that what you wanted to do at 22, 23, mm. heck, even 35 and then 45 yes. may be different and that's okay. And it's about going through that journey versus I started at one company, I grew within that company and then I retired with that company. I think it's fantastic to be honest. I mean, it's great. I mean, that's, yes. It's a trend evolving now and it's great that you can move like that. You know, you don't have to be stuck in that one career for life. Yes. And you can change at different stages. In terms of theater, did you find it added value to you in the new role in HR or did it not? It's interesting. I, I think it really did. And, and this is one thing that I try to help people who are going through career changes is to identify what you are able to bring to the new role. Mm. It's usually soft skills, but you know, as a stage manager, I had to be extremely organized. I had to deal with a lot of different personalities and bring them together for a shared goal. I had to have a lot of time management skills. So a lot of those skills you then use probably in any role, but definitely within HR. And as I was coordinating training programs for a while, that was very similar to the work I did for yeah. stage management. So I think it's able, if you're able to sort of pull out what you do really well and what you enjoy to do from a skill standpoint, and then say, let me rebrand that into the new world I'm trying to move into, there's definitely things that you will bring with you. And it's just about positioning yourself with those skills. Yeah, fantastic. Because I mean, those points I wouldn't even thought about, you know, how, to, how you add those values, like time management, you know, coordinating people. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that, that what they're in at the moment, it does bring skills. It's not something that will be just completely lost. Yeah. And I think especially nowadays, so many different companies use different software or different tools that as long as you are able to pick things up quickly, it's a lot harder for me to train time management, influencing, negotiation, I can train you on Excel. I can train you on whatever platform we use. So that I'll, you know, if you don't have those skills, that's okay. If you're bringing those soft skills, those are a lot harder to train. And that's what I find more valuable when I'm hiring someone. Yeah, awesome. So getting on to uh, startups and tech startups, really fun, exciting place to be. And interesting challenge culture, which is something I'm very passionate about myself and how you build culture. And it's, if you can get it at the early stages, I think definitely makes it easier, I would have thought, rather than trying to transition. But I mean, you know, I know you work with a lot of startups, so it'd be great to get your insights in terms of, you know, how do you go about building culture for these startups? Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point that if you wait too late, then you're trying to fix it or force something. Yeah. If it's part of who you are from the beginning, of course, it's going to evolve. But that way, at least you have some of the building blocks there. And I think the thing I always try to work with folks on, and this is something we talked about a lot at Order Groove when I first started was, what does it mean for us? What is it going to mean for Order Groove? And sure, yeah. there's going to be some overlap with other companies. No one's going to recreate the wheel. Yeah. But what does it mean for us? Because if it's just cookie cutter or you know, you describe it as a startup-y culture like Google, well, then I'll go work for Google. Like, What does it mean mm. for Order Groove? And so we, one of the first things that I did at Org Group and I've done with other companies is let's identify the values because that is right. going to be the thing that really drives how we make decisions, how we communicate, 
the things that we're going to look for in people when we hire, how we're going to recognize people. And so if you've got that common language within the values, and again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to evolve. You know, if you're a really early stage, that's okay. But just getting something together so that you're starting to be able to talk about and identify what your DNA is going to be, then everything else goes from there. Makes it much easier. But is it difficult to get um, finders to buy into this at such an early stage? I mean, defining company values, you know, because they're probably focusing, you know, get the product or building the team. And I think it is if you describe it as like an HR thing. So the, the biggest learning I've had in my career is if you do it because it's an HR thing and you're supposed to do it, or some book said that it's a great idea and you read the Zappos yeah. book and you think you're supposed to do it, then it doesn't create real meaning. If you sort of bring it into, okay, if you are focused on your go-to-market strategy and you know you're going to have to hire some salespeople or your product is at a stage where you need to hire some more engineers to build it out further, how do you know what those people are going to look like? How do you know what kind of traits you want for those people? As you grow your team from 5 to 20 even, how are you going to communicate? Are you going to be really transparent? Are you going to be hierarchical? Are you going to work in silos? If you start kind of tying it to those sort of things, founders and CEOs start to be more open to those kind of conversations okay. and helping them understand this is actually going to help your business grow more successfully. This is not some fluffy thing that I think you should do as an HR person. It actually will help your business grow better. I agree completely with you. I mean, you have to get those processes in place as soon as possible because it's like building a house. You need to have the foundations yes. in place and then from there you can build. I mean, I what say so in terms of HR, what's your recommendation in terms of these, you know, do you get a HR person in? Uh, do you invest in HR? At what stage you invest in HR? You know, just sort of give us some ideas around that and what different companies and options, what you recommend, please. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think part of it depends on some of your other infrastructure. So yeah. do you have either, you know, an HR partner and like a PEO or something like that, that can handle a lot of the transactional work and you really need someone who is going to help you build some of those frameworks that we talked about? Or do you need someone who's going to be a little bit of both and can be more tactical and hands-on in the day-to-day -day stuff? And I think that helps answer the sort of the generalist versus the leader. A generalist will not be able to be your leader. So if you hire a generalist first, you may want to consider a consultant or a freelancer or someone you can turn to for some of those bigger picture things or to be a mentor for your generalist. But if you hire a leader, they may be more interested in those things and less interested in sort of the day-to-day -day stuff. The other thing I've talked to a lot of folks about is recruiting versus HR. And, you know, at one point, if you're trying to build your team really fast, maybe you want to invest more on the recruiting side and hire a generalist, you know, for the time being, because your focus is going to be more on the recruiting side. And so it really kind of depends on what are going to be some of the key drivers over the next year or so to think about what person you need full time on the ground with you every day versus someone you can turn to when there are things that come up that you need their advice on. Right. And how about the options then of, you know like consulting bring or bring in, you know, an external company outsourcing. Is that, is that also a good option you think or depends on the company as well situation? I think so. I mean, I think like everything, it's about finding the right person, right? Like if you find someone who is super consultant-y and that's not a slam on consultants at all, but that may not fit your startup culture and they'd yeah. be like, who is this person that kind of pops in every once in a while? Or like that uh, movie Office Space, the Bobs that come in and they're like, they're not just fire people. So I think you need to find the right person and, and define what that relationship looks like. But if you've got someone who really acts like 
someone who should be part of the team, but you just don't need them full time. Mm -hmm. I think a a freelance consultant contractor is a great way to go. And honestly, in today's world, especially with more gig economy kind of roles, with more people now definitely working remote, having someone who is, you know, part time or something with you may not feel that weird because everybody's kind of coming and going a little bit differently these days. Yeah, it's interesting. Do do you see that model actually, you know, gaining traction as in you'd have like, you know, like a part-time HR person would have two or three clients, not only because it suits the company, because also they want that mix and variety and working costs and I suppose, I know, location, whatever whatever the case may be. Do you see that could be a fundamental change in the future? I think it could be, especially for earlier stage companies. I mean, once you're getting to... 75, 100 people, clearly you need more of an investment there. But I think if you're earlier stage, you know, I don't ever want a company to say, look, I'm 15 people. I am early stage. My budget is super tight. I can't afford that. So therefore, I'm just not going to do it at all. Mm-hmm. If you find someone that's willing to work with you, you can come up with a model that makes sense, that still gets you what you need and also uh, doesn't you know, break your budget. I've seen uh, more CFOs go this way. You know, maybe they consult with a couple of different companies because, again, you need someone who's paying the bills. Mm-hmm. Maybe not building a model every five seconds. Marketing's another place where you know maybe you work more with a consultant first. So I think again, it's identifying what is going to be appropriate for your company. Talk to some trusted people because the right person will come up with the right model for you and be honest about. No, I actually think you're ready for a full time in house person, or you know, this is probably something that this level can handle and or a recruiter should be doing and then I can come in and help with some of these pieces. And, you know, in the current remote working environment, is it being more difficult for HR, more beneficial, doesn't make an impact because everybody's working um, remotely? Is it more of a challenge now or not? It's interesting. Personally, I think the difficulty is I don't get those organic moments of like, I bumped into you into the kitchen and I was able to see how you're really feeling. Or mm-hmm. I watched you walk out of a conference room and I could see your face yeah, and I yeah. knew something either went really well or really badly. And I just happened to capture that moment. Everything is so scheduled right now of let's have a one-on-one and let's get on Zoom. And so I think that's the piece that I really miss is just being sort of an observer of people mm-hmm. and I'm not able to do that. And so while I try to stay connected and we do pull surveys and all those things, someone could quit tomorrow and. I may not be surprised because I don't feel like I have that same connection with people right now. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And how do we address that going forward? With remote? And I suppose it links also to how do you maintain that culture in that remote environment? I don't know how you guys are maintaining it. I mean, have you any ideas on how you actually address those points, uh, Karen? Yeah, there's been a couple of things that we've tried. First of all, we learned that smaller groups are better. If you try to get 70 people on a Zoom for a team update, as much as you try to encourage chit-chat, it doesn't happen. You have your speakers, maybe you get a couple of questions, and that's about it. So we've been doing smaller group activities, and we've tried to do it focused on something to sort of kick off the conversation, and then it kind of goes from there. So we actually have one person who loves to cook. And so he's been teaching us how to cook these different dishes. And again, yes, technically we are there to learn how to make these cookies, but we end up just chit-chatting like you would around a kitchen table. We've done a book club. We do wellness events. We do trivia nights. So those smaller gatherings have actually done better to keep people connected than sort of like the bigger events that we thought would be helpful. The other thing that I think people are really feeling is Zoom fatigue. 
So whether that is literally just staring at a screen all day, because this is the only way we can communicate with each other, or they're trying to balance so much in their home life right now that having another meeting on the calendar is just something's got to give. So we've also been trying to do some offline things, whether that is clearly food is important to us. Because another thing we did was we created a cookbook. So um, a recipe that you've enjoyed during the pandemic, and we added it to the cookbook. We actually have done homemade cards for the elderly. So that's something like kids can get involved with, but it's offline. So we've been trying to find those ways to sort of better address what's happening in people's lives right now. I think the hardest thing is the for new hires or when we have a new initiative Mm -hmm. going on that learning that happens because I'm sitting here, the person next to me is talking about something and I overhear them. And that's the piece I'm losing right now is, oh, I don't know what that is. Or, ooh, tell me more about that. That's the piece that we haven't quite been able to replicate yet. Yeah. And in terms of more working, I mean, I like working from home. I enjoy it. I know a lot of people on the office side, they don't enjoy it. They want to get back into the office. I mean, are you experiencing many challenges in this kind of space? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because people's work from home right now is not a, not a real version of work from home because kids are probably still home. They yeah, might have roommates that are still home. Depending on where they live in the country, they're still stuck at home. Like they're not allowed to go out that much. So I think what we're, what we're definitely doing is we're going to stay at home or we call it work from anywhere because if you want to move or whatever, that's fine. But we're going to stay remote for the rest of 2020 and then moving into 2021, assuming it's safe to go back to the office, we're going to allow a much more flexible option. So if you're someone who likes being in the office, awesome. Be in the office every day. Or if I'll probably do maybe a couple of days in the office, a couple of days home. Some people are like, this is working great for me. I never want to have to go back to the office. Yeah. Great. Stay remote for, you know, most of the time. So, so we're going to offer a lot more flexibility when it comes to that, because I think every, what this has definitely shown us is that everybody works very differently. And we want to, again, kind of tying back to our values and our culture, yeah. flexibility and authenticity is really important to us. As long as we're hitting our results, it, we, are, we don't micromanage. We don't care how you're doing it, just that we're getting it done. And so we are moving to much more flexible policies to support that, which reflects our culture. So it makes sense. Brilliant, uh, Karen, and fantastic advice. I want to ask you one last question just on the culture piece, because you're dealing with tech startups, a lot of them, they scale rapidly and very quickly. Um, so how are you managing, how do you, rec- what do you recommend for companies to manage culture, you know, when they're building so quickly? And yeah, it's a culture. Great, yeah, it's a great question and something that we definitely think a lot about. And I think it's, Going back to what is your DNA? So for example, you know, authenticity is really important to us. And that used to mean that our CEO talked to everybody all the time because it was 20 people and you know, yeah. that was just organically happening and everybody was in every meeting. That happens less and less. And so how do we still help build those relationships even if they're changing over time? And so we've tried things like small group lunches with our leadership members we actually are now going to do a Friday, we're calling it Friday mornings with Greg. So our CEO carves out from 8.30 to 9.30, anyone who wants to do one-on-ones with him during that time, they can sign up for in doing that. Mm-hmm. So we try to recognize, look, it's going to evolve. It's going to change. We are now a bigger organization and we're not even close to obviously what big really means, but bigger for us. So how do we keep those things that are really important to us? Collaboration is another big one. And especially as we went remote, especially as we get bigger. And again, not everybody's involved in every decision anymore, which is the right thing. How do we help people still understand what's going on in the business? Why decisions are being made? 
making sure we have the right people in the room, not 20 people in the room. Those have definitely been some growing pains, but also moments of sort of evolution that we've had to figure out as we go. And I think if you keep going back to your values or your mission statement or your employee value proposition, whatever you want to call it, that will help you make those decisions as you get bigger. Brilliant, Karen. So in terms of the future, I mean, what does that hold for you and for this space? Yeah, uh, 2020 has taught us a lot. (laughs) Um, I think one thing it has definitely showed us for the future is that even though we've said, you know, where the future of work is remote and this and that, it is now here and it's forced us to kind of really, you know, even the DEI stuff that's been going on, that's clearly a really important thing. I think everything that either used to be more check the box or, yeah, 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 we do that. It is now for uh, front and center to say, no, actually, what is your strategy? Like, how do you handle this? How do you want to be a leading company when it comes to protecting your people to be safe during a pandemic? Thinking about work, you know, working from anywhere making sure diversity is front and center. What does that actually mean for your organization? Not it's, you know, so-and-so month and we celebrated this, you know, category. And so check the box, where do we do that? Or we have a remote policy. You can work from home when your plumber's there. Like those are just not the same thing. So taking a step back and really thinking about what is your strategy? What is your mission when it comes to that? And then how are you actually going to enact it? And I think the last six months have shown us that some of the things that we were doing were sort of more action, not outcome focused. And so we've really focused on what what kind of company do we want to be? How do we want to be on the other side of this? When candidates ask us how we've handled some of these things, are we proud of how we've talked about it and what we've done? I think that's really made us focus on some things that you know we always knew were important and we were doing a little bit of, but we could have been doing more. Awesome. And just you mentioned earlier about your podcast. Could you just just tell the listeners about the podcast and how they can hear it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah. So it's called Getting Off the Hamster Wheel. It is about people who've made either career changes or figured out ways to make sure that they have fulfillment in what they do. And so it could be someone like myself who was a stage manager and yeah. moved into HR. The episode we launched this week was about some yeah, focuses on someone who actually really enjoys what he does sort of nine to five, but he makes sure he carves out time for his passion on the side. And he realizes his passion does not, he does not want that to be his career, but he wants to have both in his life. And so he's found a great balance between the two. So, you know, if you feel stuck in your career, why are you feeling stuck and how can you find you know, real fulfillment in what you do? Because we all work way too much. And so if you don't feel that in your work life, you're not going to feel it in your home life. So how can you get on a better journey? Awesome. And if what's the best way to get in touch with you, Karen, if people want to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is definitely the best. It's usually the place I go to most. I do also have a website, which is weeks247.com. So between those, there's different ways to message me and contact me. Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much for that uh, expert advice today. Really, really insightful. I learned quite a lot myself. And I look forward to keeping touch going forward into the future. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. <laughs>